0: Those are the first five verses of Psalm 31, which is the psalm appointed for today, Friday, December the 9th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm John Green, and I'm your host. Thanks for being along. We are moving on from Amos today. We're moving into the book of Haggai instead. And so we're there in the first 15 verses of the first chapter. We're also continuing our look at Revelation in the letters to the ch- churches, Today it's Revelation two verses eighteen to twenty nine, letter to the church in Thyatira, and then finally in the Gospel according to Matthew chapter twenty three verses twenty seven to thirty nine. So Haggai is a prophet who speaks in the time of uh, when when the people have come back from Babylon and they have time of Ezra and Nehemiah um, when they've rebuilt the walls. And they're now living in their own homes again in the security of the walled city and all that but prior to the building the rebuilding of the temple so what we get is in the second year of Darius the king who is the Persian king in the sixth month on the first day of the month the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtel governor of Judah and Joshua the son of Jehozadak who was the high priest and so he, he is addressing his prophecy specifically to these two leaders. One is the governor, so the temporal leader of Israel, and the other is the high priest, so the religious leader, the spiritual leader of the nation. So they're speaking to these two different leaders. This this is given to these, and they're both Jewish. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. In other words, that... People are not prepared yet to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. And that's an odd way of saying this, right? To, that it comes by the hand of Haggai the prophet. It's an unusual way of saying um, that it comes through the mouth of Haggai the prophet, right? But, but he's, apparently he's writing these prophecies and giving them to the leaders. He said, "'Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins?' Which is sort of a direct quote from David. When David thought that that it was time to build the house of the Lord, this is more or less what he said. Is it okay for me to live in a paneled house in a beautiful place, while at the same time the, there is no house for the Lord, and he wanted to build it? And initially Nathan the prophet said, yep, go for it. But then later had a vision and a dream and a word from the Lord that said, no, it's actually not your job to build the temple. It's going to wait for your son Solomon to rebuild to, or to build the temple ultimately. And so now the Haggai's turned that on its head, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while his house, this house, lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one's warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. In other words, all the things you're doing, you're doing all the right things, but you're not getting the return that you should be getting on these things. And, and apparently you're not seeing in that failure, you're not seeing exactly what's going on. And what's going on is that I'm letting everything you do leak out the back. And so that's the point of that, is, is that, is that you're missing the truth here. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified in it, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and on the grain and the new wine and the oil on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. In other words, the Lord has, has put a curse on the land until they get busy rebuilding his house. I mean, it's the most important thing to be done. Once you're satisfied, once you're settled, then the thing you need to do is build the house of the Lord. And rebuild it. And then Zerubbabel, the governor, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. What a wonderful thing to hear. That the Lord is with us as we go about the rebuilding of his temple. And the rebuilding of the temple will then mean prosperity in all the other work that you do. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord, the God of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year, of darius the king and so it, it about three weeks elapses between when haggai gets the the word from the lord tell them to rebuild by house till the beginning of the work so about three weeks is all it took to get people convinced and say oh now we get it we see what the problem is and we believe that haggai is the one who has given us the word of how this season of non-productivity, let's say, will end, and that is to rebuild the house of the Lord. And if we commit ourselves to that work, then he will prosper us and bless us. And so they get to work in three weeks. In the gospel, Jesus is continuing to pronounce woes on the spiritual leaders of the people. He doesn't pronounce woes against the temporal leadership, because the temporal leadership is Roman. So he's not speaking about the government here. He is, he is speaking woe to the scribes and the Pharisees, the hypocrites. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I know what's in your hearts. And that's exactly what we see in John 2 as they they leave Jerusalem. What we're told is he wouldn't commit himself to the people there because he knew what was in the heart of men. What's odd is in John 4, he commits himself to the Samaritan woman at the well. So he saw in her heart something that was different from the quality of the people's hearts who were in Jerusalem, and here... That's exactly what he says. I know who you are. I know what's inside. You keep it all bottled up. You keep it all well hidden from the world. You make it look nice on the outside, but I know who you are. I know what's actually going on in your heart, and it's not good. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets." In other words, we're better than they were. We we wouldn't do those kinds of things. That's not what we would do. The, our fathers were fools. They didn't see what was in front of them, and they didn't their their hearts were hardened and their necks were stiffened against the word of the Lord, calling them to repent and calling them to follow Him again. We wouldn't have done that, though. We're not that, those kinds of people at all. In spite of the fact that, well, they didn't believe in John the Baptist, and they don't believe in Jesus. He says so. You say this, thus you witness against yourselves, your sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. In other words, go ahead and do what it is you're going to do. They killed the prophets. Now comes your opportunity. But you're not killing a prophet. You're going to kill Messiah. You serpents, you brood of vipers, which is exactly what John called them how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? And remember what John said, he called him a brood of vipers and said, who warned you to flee the wrath that is to come. Here Jesus says, how are you going to escape being sentenced to hell? Which would be an unbelievable thing to say to um, the religious leaders of the people. If they couldn't escape going to hell, then what about the common people in there? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify and some you'll flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that you might come uh, on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, these things will come upon this generation. It's going to happen in your lifetime. And it does, because we know that in A.D. 70, only about 40 years after the death of Jesus, the temple falls, and the temple's gone, and it's gone forever. It's never been rebuilt in the 2,000 years since then. They're going to see the destruction of Jerusalem. They're going to see the destruction of the temple because of their apostasies. And, and Jesus is telling them in advance, because he knows what they're going to do. They're going to blame it on the Christians. <laughs> they're going to believe it on, blame it on his followers that we wouldn't have had this happen had it not been for the followers of Jesus. And the Romans sort of mixed us up with them would be the defense they would attempt to make in that. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. I have wanted so badly to love you and to protect you and to save you, but you wouldn't have it. You have rejected all those who have been sent to you, and you will not have their testimony in the same way that we saw that the northern kingdom rejected the prophecy of Amos. So now Jesus is saying, you know, it's, it's coming to an end. This grand experiment of a people and a place is coming to an end. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's exactly what we pray for. We pray for the coming of the one who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a painful thing to see God not annulling the covenant, but saying that it's irretrievably broken with my people. And so there's a new way of being in the covenant with God. There's a new way of, of God being in covenant with people, and it was intended for his people in their land to display the glory of God, to live under his rule and reign, and establish his kingdom on the earth, beginning from that place and then spreading outward. And in the days of Solomon, for a time, it looked like that was going to work, because the world came to see what was going on in Jerusalem, and then over time everything fell apart because that's the principle of entropy. Things fall apart over time. It takes a lot of active effort to make sure things don't fall apart. That's the reason that great churches tend to have seasons of time when they're great, and then they fall because the leaders fall the leaders failed. They failed to hold on to the truth. They failed to recognize that their blessing was because of God's blessing, because they were preaching the gospel. They were preaching the truth. People were being discipled. People were being saved. People were being healed. And then suddenly things are a shell of their former selves is because we lose the thread. We, we lose the, the faith that the Bible is truly the Word of God, we we begin to think then, oh, well, no, it contains the Word of God. Well, okay, if it contains but isn't the Word of God, then you're going to have to tell me which parts are the Word of God and which parts I can safely ignore, and that's exactly what's going on in the church today. We've lost our faith and our confidence in the Word of God being the Word of God, and we've taken it to be, oh, just some other ancient document. And that's what's happened to the church. We've lost confidence and faith that this is the Word of God. It's not just a book that has the Word of God in it. It is the Word of God. And that's what we see here in the church in Thyatira. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, which is the description John gave us when he said he saw this one looking like a son of man standing among the seven golden lampstands with the seven golden stars in his hand, is that, that he had eyes like flame of fire and whose feet were like burnished bronze, and his voice was like the rushing of many waters. He says, I know your works your love and faith and service and patient endurance. That's nice confirmation there. And that your latter works exceed the first. So unlike the church at Ephesus who lost their first love and therefore their works had gone to pieces, this church has continued and persevered in that persecution and in the truth and the works that they're doing which matter more than just the teaching by itself, because if you just have the teaching without the works, then you have, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. But here he says, your works, latter works, exceed the first things you did. And the, the, the Ephesian church was was um, ripped for losing their first love, and then they were called to go back then and do the works they did at the first. Here, Jesus says, your latter works exceed the first, but I have this against you, That you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols, which are two of the things that are noted in the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 that you're not supposed to do. So it validates the Jerusalem Council's decision to lay these obligations on the Gentiles, to not eat food that's sacrificed to idols and to refrain from sexual immorality. But that those have content, right? I mean, so the, the sexual immorality is not a freestanding kind of a term. You've got to define what that is. And so it's sex outside of a marriage between a man and a woman, period. End of sentence. He says you tolerate that. And what happens is that once you begin to tolerate something in the church, once you begin to tolerate false teaching in the church, then what happens is that false teaching then becomes the characteristic of the church, because you're no longer able to oppose it in the church. You're not allowed to, because you tolerated it on the front end, and you watched people go astray after this. He said, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I'll throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I'll throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of their works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and will give to each of you according to your works. So I see what you do, but I also see your mind and your heart, and so I know what's behind all this, whether you're doing good works to gain favor, or whether you're doing good works from a pure heart whether you're doing good work so that you might get more money, that you might be blessed in some financial way or whatever, or are you doing them for the love of God and the love of your neighbor? He said, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. In other words, you've got to deal with that. You tolerate that teaching in your midst. You've got to get rid of that. But I'm not laying any other burdens upon you. Only hold fast what you have until I come. And I would never as a kid have imagined that to be a difficult thing it would never have occurred to me that my faith and my beliefs would be under attack because i stood in the word of god i mean as a kid you know you know what you know but then it's it's what's been amazing to me is the longer that i've been in the church and been around christianity the harder it is frankly to continue and persevere and hold fast Because it's under attack all the time. It's hard to do it because you're criticized and you're called a fundamentalist, you're called names, you're called whatever, and and you're out of step with not only the world, but with also the church, too. And it's always been the case. And that's and what we see in all these letters. You hold to the t- teaching of the Nicolaitans, or here you you know you allowed the teaching of Jezebel, and, and it's more difficult than anybody could ever have imagined. It it takes a, a, an investment of the will, and it takes a, a, a mind and a heart firmly settled on this is the word of God, and I know this is the word of God. It's what the church has always believed. That's the authentication. Is God's blessing on the church, and that these are the things the church have always believed about these scriptures. And if you don't believe those things, then you're outside the church, you're outside the covenant community, no matter whether you think you're in it or not. And that's exactly the attitude we need to take. We need to hold fast to these things so that we're not pulled under in the undertow the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. To him I'll give authority over the nations, and he'll rule them with a rod of iron, as when earth and pots are broken in pieces, and even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. and The morning star is Jesus. He'll, I'll give them myself. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Hold fast to the truth. Hold fast to the Word of God. Be obedient to the Word of God in all things.